0: From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter. What is west of west and Westeros and the shadows in the east. This is Casterly Talk. I'm Ken and this is another Game of Thrones rewatch episode. A look back at season three, episode three, Walk of Punishment. Hello everybody and welcome to Casterly Talk here on the Good People Association and Blue Wire Podcast. Thanks to them for making this possible. Happy to be there and here with them. Uh, We are off and running, finally back here, looking at Season 3. Just me tonight, guests on the way, finally starting to reach out to some people. I know you're tired of just me talking, but you got me now. Here we go. Uh, This is going to be an interesting discussion um, with all of you here because... I keep having this weird relationship with season three of Game of Thrones, where it is without a doubt, a, a, a season that sometimes I look back and go, man, I don't know if it was good as I thought. And look, all, all seasons of Game of Thrones are a plus to me, right? But we're, we're, we're in a small percentage of what's what's worse and what's what's bad. To be clear, from my point of view, uh, some of you might have a different point of view and, and more stronger opinions of which seasons don't work for you. I understand. For for me, I just absolutely, um, I just love uh, you know Game of Thrones so much. But season three, and looking in the rearview mirror, sometimes I'm like, I, I just don't know if it hit. I just don't know if it hit. Maybe it uh, gets little more credit than it's uh, than it should. All those kind of silly things, really. But here we are, three episodes into the season, and the rewatch is this time around with this focus, this like micro focus on the themes and the lessons and all the things that tie into the bigger picture of the story of Game of Thrones, the TV show versus just Song of Ice and Fire, of course. Uh, These three episodes are really hitting with me. Hitting with me because of what they're doing to set up what is forthcoming, to set up what is on the way, going all the way up to season eight. There's some big things that have been put in place, some thesis statements, some big goals for the characters uh, not just uh, the Iron Throne or Kingdoms and Breaking Wheels, but who are they and what they want and what they want from here on out. The big one for me so far is Jon Snow, this quest to be a hero, now turned on his head. And he's got to learn what that means, learn what he really should be doing and who he really is this far from home. And uh, that keeps on building all the way through. And now here we are with Daenerys Targaryen and some great stuff. This episode is, of course, titled Walk of Punishment, which is something she is currently experiencing in um, in uh, uh, Astapor. I, was I almost said Marine, then I almost said Unkai, Yun- <laughs> Unkai, and then I just, just, you know, the cities, when you're... Seven, eight years removed from the first time you learned about these cities on a TV show. Your, your brain starts to go. Uh, she is uh, uh, hanging out there in Astapor. Uh, all right. So here we go. Uh, this episode first aired in April 14th, 2013. Wow. Where were you? I was, was about five days from a birthday back then. And uh, this was directed, this episode directed by David Benioff, but... And this was his first G.O.T. director credit. But in truth, he and D.B. Weiss both directed it. They both wrote the episode. But uh, Director Guild of America rules kind of uh, forbid them from uh, from that. Uh, one person has to get the credit there. So, Betty F I don't know if they drew straws. Seems like he just... I, no, I don't want to assume anything about him. He's, I don't know. Maybe I was going to say, maybe he was like, how about I get this one, DB? No, that's not fair. That's not fair of me to say. It's not fair of me to say. They work well together, clearly. They're the writer, cinematographer, Matthew Jensen, and Katie Wyland is the editor. This episode got some uh, Emmy nominations specifically for costume designs, I do believe. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, for a first time out directing it, I i, I really got I, I to gotta say this is one of the best Better Game of Thrones episodes in in the first half of the of the uh, whole show. I count like first, seasons one, two, and three are kind of its own little thing for me, you know. And then four is a transition period. Old cast kind of gone, new cast, new cast members start showing up. Pedro Pascal looking at you, and then by five, six, seven, eight, it's it's a different show. I mean, it's the same show, but you know what I mean? Like, there's just like uh, one, two, and three, we're still playing with like the The original cast, and then season three starts to take care of some of them. Uh, so of that of that run, one, two, and three, I really think uh, that uh, this is one of the better episodes. I really do. I really do. And uh, Credit to them. It has <clears throat> two of the uh, two of the first three scenes in the show are two of the best in the series for me. Hostertelly's funeral pyre and uh, Cersei and Tyrion's chair positioning. Uh, and the power play by Tywin and everyone there, which uh, uh, leads us into some bigger discussions here. Let's talk about the themes and lessons. Also, a lot of just great great scenes and, and things that mean more. And we'll dive into some of the characters here. I, I love focusing on the themes presented in the show, even when, as I keep saying, but I think it's more apropos for this episode, when Benioff and Weiss... Are like, yeah, we don't really deal in themes. I always say, uh, I, I, I call false on that, and I think there are a lot of themes presented in these episodes, uh, but a lot of lessons and a lot of things that, uh, mean a lot for the show going forward. A lot of things, uh, a lot of things start popping up early in this episode. There's this pursuits of glory with Edmar, uh, versus patience and playing with yourself for the, for the greater cause. Uh, patience is, um, is, is about getting the whole picture often. We've had a great conversation over in Force Center about patience in Star Wars, patience, something the Jedi believe in, but why? And that's one of the things that Joseph uh, Grimshaw was really uh, driving home of, just this waiting for the bigger pictures is and having all the information. And, and you start this episode out with some big things about the war with Rob Stark, and he's winning, but already feels he might be losing, right? We had seen episode two with Richard, uh, with Richard Karstark uh, already kind of... Uh, Chipping at him and undercutting him here a little bit there, but the big episodes here here, we got identity and and legacy start to uh, pop up and start to be uh, very uh, uh, all through the series. And and again, and I'll stop here. A lot of the themes are 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 a bit of a repeat sometimes and a continuation. This particular episode has a lot of continuation from last week's episode. Last week, "Dark Wings, Dark Words," we talked about the idea of who who really are you? Who are you really? and i i think that's um that this last week's episode and then this week's episode are kind of um, i say it like the shows by the way they're like the shows on <laughs> like it's currently last week last sunday when we all watched the, uh, season 3 episode 2 episode 1 let's go set it let's set it up this way episode 1 really cuz it's the first uh, you know a number one episode of a season it's putting the pieces on the board as we know season uh, 3 episode 2 is kind of a continu- continuation of that but it's almost calm response to me um, the, one of the big themes in uh, episode two is like, who, 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 who are you really? Uh, and, 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 and what shield are you putting up? And, and, and maybe this is a question you're asking yourself. It's almost some inter- introspection, right? And, and I see this uh, as uh, as a response to that. Hey, you might know who you are. You're starting to come to terms with that, but, but who are you and, and who do people see you as? Uh, and and it's building upon on that because I think it starts to, if last week's episode was a, a big thematic question of, hey, who are you really? This is starting to answer it. The characters are starting to answer that, and their actions tell that. It's not just a simple little writing trick. Eh, show, uh, not tell. Yeah, yeah, I get that, I get that, I get that. But the, the reason I love that funeral uh, funeral pyre scene with Hoster Tully, it's such a great introduction to two characters, Blackfish and Emmer Tully, we see who are they who they are right away. Uh love Blackfish. Shout out to Clive Russell, just killing it here. Uh and and going forward anytime he's on the screen, I just identify with those grumpy, uh, grumpy old guys. <laughs> Showing her I'm not that good with a bow and arrow, but it's actions, right? And who you are. And that scene uh goes right into one of what I feel is uh the other great scene, which is this uh I mean there's a lot of great scenes and important scenes throughout this episode, to be clear, but the the uh, small council meeting with, with Tywin uh, because uh, we come out of the funeral pyre, pyre scene and then we go to Edmer playing for glory. There's enough glory to go around. His goals are misplaced and Rob puts him in his place. And he does talk about this idea of patience and who's who's really in control of this war. Rob's got some big wins, right? But he need, they need more men. They need more resources. This is why Edmund Tully's uh, stupid move to get that mill and get a couple of minor Lannisters. Martin Lannister, uh, one of them, you know, it, 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 it's nothing. We, we, it's, it's an act of, uh, it's an act of uh, impatience, to be uh, clear. And then on the other side is, is, is Tywin with his patience, who always has the big picture at play, in play and always has a big picture in his mind. So you go to that small council scene and actions tell. And Tywin wants to know. Tywin has probably a good idea. That deleted scene that uh, never shows up of, uh, you know, Tywin, uh, I think it is it season two or three. It's got to be this season cause, uh, or maybe season four where, where um, my memory's not uh, serving me well here. Of the Taiwan fishing, the deleted scene with Taiwan fishing, and just basically telling Pysel, like, stop that. Am I the only one who's falling for your trick of being this hunched over, broken old guy? So Taiwan is in power, and and there is a great, uh, great uh, post show commentary. I always suggest watching the after the episodes there on HBO Max or wherever you got uh, the episodes. And DB Weiss has just got some great stuff all the way through. Uh, he's a really insightful guy when it comes to this world and these scripts and these stories. But it's it's pretty simple. It's on the screen. This isn't rocket science here. Tywin's in power. He's got all the time in the world. He's writing letters around trying to you know gather up his allies, his allies, and and pull them into his back back alleys, um, like a back alley Sally. All right, I'll stop. So he's there. He moves to small council chambers the meetings to his chambers, power play. Hey, I got to work. Why not do it in my office? And then uh, the small council shows up. We got Baelish, we got Varys, we got Pycelle, Cersei and Tyrion on the way in. And it is a funny scene. It's a memorable scene with the chair, Tyrion doing that long screech on the chair. But Weiss went into it, but it's it, it's pretty clear. This is what the episode is is about. Who are you? Last week we asked, who, who, who are you really? This week it's like, all right. Tell us, you have an you have an idea who you are? Show us. And Tywin is it's a little power game from him. Baelish, boom, runs for a chair first. Varys, he's fine with that. He'll be number two, kind of off, uh, out of the, the spotlight, out of the crosshairs, in the shadows. And Pycelle still playing his little game. He's just playing the game just to survive. He just wants to, t- he just wants to He'd love to be closer to Tywin, but he's just gonna get what he can get because he's just playing there. Then Cersei comes in, boom, sweeps in. And just grabs a chair, bucks the rules, goes around it, circumvents the uh, rules, and circumnavigates the table. And boom, right next to her father. Because that's where she wants, that's where she thinks she's going to be, her actions tell us. And Tyrion, he's got no choice. He knows who he is. He fights it all. Slow, slow screech, makes a big scene. And where does he sit? Opposite his father, as far as away as he can. He doesn't need the power. He's not here for the games. And that is all these characters putting their cards on the table in front of Tywin. Again, is he, he's probably Tywin's probably confirming what he already knows. Uh, he, he probably has a pretty good read on all these players. Uh, so I love that seed. It is such a great, uh, great seed. It's it's comedy, it's comedy of character, it's and it's the actions telling us who, who they are, which again, this big episode theme. Who are you? Uh, combined with this idea of far from home, that comes up a lot directly. Uh, Mance Raider's talking about Jor Mormont and when, when they're up at the fist of the first men. Mormont might have survived that battle up there. He might be a blue-eyed corpse, but he's a long way from home. And uh, Ramsey, who we don't know yet as Ramsey in the show, Of course, book readers probably a little uh, different experience with that. I get that. Uh, Says to Theon as he does the false rescue, as he's just mind-booping, Theon, it's crazy. You're a long way from home and winter is coming. And and what happens when you're asking yourself these big questions and the show is playing with these big questions? What do you really want? Who, Who are you really? But really, who are you? What do people think of you? And what are you doing to show them that? When you're away from home, you kind of don't know who you are and or you got to find out who you are so you can lean on it. And it can pull you through. And a lot of these characters are starting to figure that out. This idea of Catelyn Stark, she's at home. She's a Tully. And here she is at home. And man, she is not home. And as we talked about last week, she is less about Tully, less about Stark, and, and more about her children, her immediate family, those around her. That's kind of who she is, and she's far from it. She has a great, I mean, I mean Michelle Fairley, just a great scene, um, uh, a great uh, quote from Bat- Blackfish. We'll talk later, but just staring out and, 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 and thinking and, and, and correctly thinking she'll never see Bran and Rick gone again because she at this point thinks they're dead. But it's uh, true for other reasons. She's far from more. Well, you got the comment about Jor Mormont being far from home. And who's listening to that? Jon Snow, who is far from home. Uh, Rob Stark is losing a war that he is technically maybe winning in the ledger because he's far from home. Theon Greyjoy is far from home and doesn't quite yet know where he even is. And even I I would contend that Danny is far from home. Literally, we know that's where she wants to get back. She wants to conquer. But she's also... Far from this idea of what Rhaegar Targaryen was. There's great conversations we'll get into about who he was. And that is kind of a sense of where you want to go and who you want to be. It's a sense of your name, your home, your place. And she's far from all of that, too. Which uh, helps her discover a little bit about herself there, too. Uh, the The actions defining you was important. Uh, and again, who who are you? Uh, and, and Weiss talks about that with that Tywin scene. And, and therefore, again, I, I think it bleeds over into a lot of the other a lot of the other scenes, Blackfish, he knows who he is compared to his house name. That great little conversation about, did you make up with uh, your brother, you know, my, my father, before he passed? And uh, Blackfish is unclear on that, but says the, you know, it's been so long, they don't even know what they were fighting over there. But, uh, you know, your father wanted me to, to stop calling me the Blackfish, but um, it's been so long, I forgot what my name really is. Meaning to me, he kind of knows who he is. He, he is the Blackfish. He is not Uh, In in lockstep with the house, but he believes in the house, especially as we discover later on in a future season. Last week, we had the great scene with Jor Marmont saying, uh, uh, Tarly, I I forbid you to die, uh, which is a, a, a weird, tense vote of confidence for Sam that you do belong here. And it's a powerful scene if you need that in your life. Sam is on his knees. He wants to die. He's failed miserably. He's so far north of the wall. He doesn't know who he is. And Jor Mormon's telling him, "I know who you are, and whether you believe it or not, you are a man of the Night's Watch. You took that bow. That's who you. Is. That's who you are. That's your title. It's your name, and you belong here. You are supposed to be here." And I think in this episode, Sam starts to really say, "All right, if that's who I really am, I'm still kind of terrified, and I'm still Sam the Scared, not yet Sam the Slayer." There. Uh, But he hears the cries of Gilly uh, giving birth. Uh, I'll say somewhat of an awkward scene, just pops out and watches a stranger give birth. All right, Sam, we'll we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Different world, different times. But for that scene, I think he starts to figure out, he's starting to really answer that for himself. It's going to be a long road. It's a long road, and Sam makes a lot of decisions going all the way up to season six. So he can think of some of that stuff with his father. Uh, and, and some of the stuff that will come in, in the citadel. It, 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 so, and some people the answer, you might know the answer, but it takes longer to get there. And, and I think in this this episode, the seeds are sprinkled. as Sam looks at Gilly, watches her give birth again, Sam, maybe next time, just listen. Uh, maybe not even that. Uh, and then she he sees it's a boy. he, he now knows he's, he gets what that is. He hears Craster. And, and he's going to make a decision and it's setting him up for him to kind of answer that question for himself. So that's why I love all that going on there. And um, we, we, we also have this idea here is, is the idea of a lot of these characters. We asked last week who you really are and this week, you know, it, 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 who you are to the, to the world and what's the perception of you is, is, is part of that as well. Got a lot of characters dealing with that, but a lot of characters either intentionally hiding it or so, or just hiding it or it hasn't been discovered. Here I'm talking about Sam on this on, on this strong, you know, is, is he a man of the Night's Watch? Who is he? Is he going to defend Gilly? All those kind of things. Pretty big, noble stuff with Sam and that question. And then you got Pod. That's the other thing. You got Edmer, Blackfish, Craster, Ramsey, Locke. They're all, they're all kind of hiding who they are. Danny. Daenerys Targaryen is hiding who she is to Crasnis and even her advisors. We'll talk more about that later. And then you got Pod, who he hasn't been hiding. He just doesn't know who he is yet. He's just a humble squire. And Game of Thrones sometimes a little gratuitous in the nudity of the sex and the sex position. I'm all I I, I understand that, and it kind of you know it wasn't so much as like that in the in, in the later seasons. This, uh, the scene with, uh, with Tyrion and Braun, paying back Pod and, and the three girls and the, and the Miranese Knot reference, which is a reference to what uh, George R. R. Martin felt he uh, got himself into with the fifth book and why it took so long to get that book out. So who knows what Knot is, uh, he's tied up in now for, for the sixth book. But uh, I love that scene. I, got it to, I love that scene. Uh, it's funny, and the follow-up scene with Pod returning, returning with the money. It's uh, Braun and Tyrion just got that; they got so much going on. It's it's fun to you relive their banter, but it is a it is a discovery. Uh, it is absolutely discovery. Uh, genius in uh, in hidden places, genius in weird places. All those kind of things. Uh, Pod's got some hidden skills, and and I love that this becomes a runner we never really figure it out, right? Even though he he sits down and tells Tyrion and Braun, we assume over uh, some wine. This is a, a runner, all especially during this season and next, of uh, what actually happened with Pod there. Uh, but, yeah, everyone's kind of hiding, uh, which goes into this idea, going back to the Tywin uh, power play scene, of, of, of actions tell, and actions define you as well. So that uh, factors into a lot of decisions as well. Uh, we've also got uh, Brianne uh, and Jamie. Their relationship grows. Their relationship moves forward in the sense of they're starting to learn about each other. Uh, last week, again, the deeper question is who they really are, who Jamie is in this moment. But remember, Jamie last week, last episode, I got, I got to say it that way, um, season uh, three, episode two. Jamie is finally honest about who he really is. It's a slightly different question. Uh, it's about a, a man who loves his sister, who loves Cersei. That's something that's going to drive him all the way to the end. Even when he tries to fight, it, fight it, he knows that's who he is at his core. Um, and, and buried beneath all that is this name, who he is, his father's name and going to the stuff at the end with, um, with Locke taking off his hand, jumping the end of that. It, it's a, it's a powerful moment for Jamie to learn actually what that name really means and then a, who he might have thought he was with that name. And that great sword hand is now removed, right? This has been talked about before. Of uh, you know George R. R. Martin loves to do this and Weiss. This is another thing that DB Weiss says in, in the uh, in the extra feature stuff there that this is all George. This is you know George R. R. Martin' decision in the books. And Weiss DB Weiss puts it up there with Ned's beheading as shocking in a way and describes it wonderfully as a, a character is is killed, murdered, dead. Jamie's dead right there. The Jamie Lannister we knew and the Jamie Lannister. Jamie Lannister knew, is dead. He's walking dead at this point. Uh, different show, obviously. Well, someone else can break that down. But uh, yet, he, he is now broken. He is now, now he can rebuild. And he does rebuild. And he's starting to grow a little bit of a heart. I remember re-watching this scene recently with uh, my partner, Grace. And she kind of had that, oh, oh, sweet moment with Jamie. Even though it's a pretty gruesome scene uh, and pretty... Um, you know some harsh stuff there, particularly the uh, 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 rape stuff with Brienne. Uh, something in the Game of Thrones off and, and Andrew R. R. Martin. and let's be a lot of stories uh, in, in modern times and uh, Western times. There, uh, it's a trope that's overused. Writers, you don't, you don't need just. I, I don't think you need to throw rape around It's a big uh, something that has to or happen or almost happen to characters. Bigger discussions, and we're not even at the big discussion in Game of Thrones about that yet, right? Two more big uh, scenes in future seasons we'll have this discussion. But all that said, all that said, what is about to happen to Brienne is very real. It's very visceral. It's very violent. It's very off-putting. It's very evil. And Jamie is faced with that and, 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 and discovers, almost to a surprise, right? It's almost to a surprise that he defends uh, Brienne, at least tries to distract, and, and, and quite frankly does it at the cost of himself, uh, he, he he pays for it with his hand and, and essentially with who he is and he has to discover uh, discover uh, a new answer to that question there. So that closes out the episode and that again is part of the big theme and, and just a lesson for all of us. Don't get your hand chopped off. But I love that stuff uh, there. The the depth that's in all these scenes, it's not just plot, it's not just moving the story forward, it's, it's finding out what's really there. Uh, moving on here on the episode, uh, I want to get to some of the foreshadowing and things with more meaning, but we're going to take a quick break here for a moment. On Casterly Talk. We're back. Thanks for listening here to Castly Talk here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the Good People Association Network there. Subscribe, uh, rate, review, tell your friends, do all those things. Help us get ready for House of the Dragon. Oh, there's so many things coming here. Oh, it's going to be great. Oh, it's just going to be great, right? I can't wait for House of the Dragon. I, I, I'm starting to get excited for it. I go oh, starting. I should say st- starting. I mean, I am excited about it. Aren't you excited about it? All right. Uh... <laughs> We go on to things with more meaning, all right? Uh, this is a little foreshadowing, a uh, little bit of, uh, you know, looking ahead to just not just um, the, the end of the show, but um, you know what I mean. Why am I trying to explain things with more meaning? Foreshadowing. Would am I going to pull out a dictionary? Sorry, it's been a long day. I'm broadcasting after a long day. My throat is burning Hello, friends. Foreshadowing things with more meaning, and also things that really kind of tie into the theme. It's all present in at the crossroads. Hot pie's goodbye is so sad. It's so sweet, but it's also a quick reminder. We get a lot. Aria is far from home. Far from home, and she gets that great reminder from hot pie. Hot pie cooking the uh, wolf uh, bread, which of course will have more meaning later on when he gets it right a little bit better. Um, it is a reminder, and I think because we all know now what happens to Arya and how far she travels. I I can't wait to revisit the House of Black and White stuff, which understand doesn't hit for everybody. And I I think the book uh, the book version is maybe my favorite version of it. Here we always say these are two different uh, mediums and two different uh, stories. Quite frankly, in the same world. But I understand the. it's not even the critique of the House of Black and White stuff. It, 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 it plays a little boring at times, plays a little slow. And, and part of that is, though, if I may defend it and even counter my own thoughts on that, is I think we want Arya to get to where she wants to go. We want to take revenge with her, which is, you know, not necessarily where her journey ends up. Uh, as, as it is with a lot of characters, what they want is as they learn, maybe is what they shouldn't want, and they need to give it up. There and mm-hmm. some great Arya stuff coming, and I think we, I think we're we're rooting for that, and so we're at House of Black and White. We're get to it, we get to it. But I also I submit even a little scene like this with Arya getting the uh, the reminder of who she is from Hot Pie uh, is is that something that we I don't I don't think it ever leaves her. I mean, we we see the scenes later on, and that she can't get rid of Needle and. And, and and what ends up happening, uh, and with uh, Jagan Hagar, who I I think some of the purpose, my interpretation of what happens with that story is, is he needed to needed her to kind of rediscover and, and and focus on who she she was, and 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 it's up for debate on on would she've you know stayed in the house of black and white, stayed a faceless man, stayed an assassin, or was that just was this Jagan or whoever that Jagan Hagar person is, was this part of the plan all along? I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll take a look when we get into it in a little more uh, detail later on, but I think of this scene a lot as she goes off and we know the hound stuff. She, the hound is here. She wants vengeance on him. She, that whole hound and aria sitcom hasn't even begun yet. The house of black and white stuff. We, we, we all, we know that's coming, but this scene, she's so far from home. She is uh, mad at the brother. She's, she's, uh, you know, uh, got Gendry and Hot Pie. That's the only people she has. She's starting to lose them one by one. You know, Gendry's going to be a smith. All these kind of things that happen or are going to happen. But this is this big reminder: you are House Stark. You are Arya Stark. Maybe if you're not even super loyal to the house, I'd say she is. But you're Arya Stark of winter Hell. I mean Winterfell. And I think. That question for her, need, she needs to go through all that to get that, to confirm that answer. And I go back to this scene a lot because of that there. Uh, I talked earlier about uh, Catelyn Stark and the crying, uh, saying she'll never see Brandon Rick on again, again, because at this point she thinks they're dead. And she thinks she blames herself for a lot of stuff and feels bad about them staring out of the moors over Winterfell, wondering when she'll come back. And it, it's just sad. Now, again, this is just one of those things that just has more meaning, like season one. Uh, watching uh, Ned and Catlin uh, uh, kiss and say goodbye for what will be the last time that we learn later on, it, it kind of gets you. It's sad, and, and it's uh, one of the great things of the show. Uh, you know, you want to see the big reunion, but, you know, it's never going to happen. Um, so that means a lot uh, going forward. John at the uh, Fist of the First Men. There's uh, just him knowing, him seeing the actual scope, seeing the, the horses, the spiral, uh, the, the always the artist's. And also, so knowing that, knowing what's coming with the uh, Mance uh, ready, readying the attack or getting closer to it, and and then he, we don't spend a lot of time with John, but just uh, again, um, Mance trying to take him with you, uh, and then he's going to climb the wall, and it's going to be an important episode and important thing for John and Egret, but him climbing that climbing that wall is kind of asking like, hey, who are you, and you're going to figure that out, and John's in the, in 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 the middle of all that there, but just. Knowing what's even coming with uh, Watchers on the Wall, knowing what's coming uh, in season seven, season eight, to see here John, who's already seen a, a, a White Walker, who already get he already has an idea this is all true, just to kind of stand up on the fist of the first man, and and he maybe he doesn't fully understand Oral uh, or else skin changer and uh, you know uh, warging and all that kind of stuff, um, to 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 be standing on the fist of the first man where he was where he left everyone, and they're gone. The bodies are gone, the horses remain, the body, the slashes, uh, slashes of the horses, the, the the bits and pieces, if it, if you will. That's That means a lot to me going forward for John. Like He's always going to go back and be like, I, I can't unsee what I saw. Did anyone else see that? I gotta share it. Uh, Carl Tanner, go and jump into Craster's Keep. Uh, I love seeing uh, uh, Carl Tanner there uh, of uh, the Gin Alley. Uh, he you don't – he's so in the background, and next episode, he steps in the forefront. And I'm such a jor Mormont fan. I hate him, but I love him because he's so good, and I love seeing him there. Uh, you also uh, just uh, see things with more meaning. Jamie's heart starting to emerge as more meaning to me, but also this false promise of the Sapphires, something that's going to come back and affect Brianne uh, real quickly. Uh, and then uh, – we go into a lot. I did want to talk a little bit about... We'll talk some about the the, the uh, brand stuff with Jamie later, but I do want to go into what I feel is uh, also one of my favorite scenes in the entire show. Uh, I quote parts of it a lot. Uh, the Mormon's there's a beast in every man, and it stirs when you put a sword in his hand. This episode is, of course, titled The Walk of Punishment, and this is a key scene for Danny. She's on The Walk of Punishment. Seeing the brutalized... Um, uh, slaves, uh, uh, sitting up there, um, being slowly executed and it's, and it's brutal and it's disturbing and it, and it, and it should be, and it, and it is for Danny. Um, she begins this season needing an army. She wants an army and she wants to go back and conquer Westeros. She wants the iron throne. She wants what she feels is her birthright. And that's something that, uh, is still in play. And I think it's really beginning to change. It has already changed. Yes. Yes, but coming out of uh, season two and being over in Carth, all that stuff, this is start. We're starting to see a different Danny, a-, a-, a more laser focused Danny, perhaps, on what she wants and-, and who she is. So we have this great scene on the Walk of Punishment uh, with uh, Danny and her her angels on her shoulder, uh, Barriston Selmy and Jorah Mormont, and they both are you know again maybe I said angels, De- uh, yeah, devil angels, not fair. I'll call them two angels with different point of views. And they present and they talk and they discuss the tough choices she has to make. That never changes. Every character in this show, particularly the ones reaching for big power, even the ones trying to do great things for the benefit of others. They, it's, it's, it's a needle that you have to thread, a very small uh, needle and thread there. And that's what George R. R. Martin loves playing with. And that's what this show does. And that's some of the big lessons Danny's uh, between a rock and a hard place to me. Uh, And she, the ideas aren't put in front of her here. She wants an army. She hits the, she hit this town. She hit Astapor wanting an army. So the choices are by slave army that will serve her commands, including not to kill, because she has this idea. She wants to kill. uh, uh, She wants to take over, I should say, uh, on the blood of uh, her enemies, not the blood of innocence. She says the blood of my enemies, not the blood of innocence, to Jorah and Barristan. So that's the idea. Jorah's kind of behind this idea. Slave army. Yeah, kind of sucks, but they'll serve your commands. I was there at the sack of King's Landing. Innocents are going to die. There's no 100% pure goodness out there or, or, or goodness to be found. You're, if you want to take the Iron Throne and you want to do it without the blood of innocence, you're going to need this slave army who will serve your commands, including not to kill the innocents. Barrison Selmy says, Don't take, don't don't lead a slave army. Don't do that. Fight with an army that believes in her beyond the commands. Now, he does suge- suggest, let's go buy some cell swords. But. His overall big point is: you want to be that kind of leader, like Rhaegar, uh, Rhaegar Targaryen. And, and now we're starting to learn. By the way, season one, season two. Anytime you hear uh, Rhaegar Targaryen, it's it's with a you know spit on the ground from Robert Baratheon. Uh, he's the bad guy. The Targaryens were the bad guys. Robert Baratheon, Ned Stark, everyone—they usurped the power from the Mad King. Now, I would argue, yeah, pretty bad. But we have uh, already learned by now, we're in season three, it's 2013. If you haven't even touched the books, it doesn't matter at this point. You're starting to see these uh, delicious shades of gray, these uh, needles being uh, threaded. And now we're just, we got Barrison Salmi going, yeah, Rhaegar Targaryen was great. He was great. And you want to be that. You want to be like your brother. I fought beside the last dragon and everyone who fought with him believed in him. Will believe in them, and they'll believe in you. Believe in you beyond your your commands, which, as we see, one day will include killing innocents for her. Jumping ahead to season eight, but you know we're, we're not there yet for the season eight debate, because I love it. I love, and I think it tracks to here. I think that stuff tracks to here. I really do, because even uh, I've had conversations. You know, season seven and season eight, and actually all of Danny's journey, because is telling me goes a lot earlier. The people around her who she trusts, who she listens to, one by one are taken away or sent away. Dario Naharis, she sends him or leaves him behind, I should say, but even he tells the truth. You're a conqueror, Daenerys Tur- Stormborn, Daenerys Targaryen. So I've always said that, right? That's, that's, part, of the, that's, that's part of the point. In his base level analysis, that's what happens along the way to Danny. So I sometimes ask myself, I don't know, and I, so I've always said I'm not, I'm not the expert here, I'm just a dude uh, with a microphone discussing some thoughts on the big themes and lessons in Game of Thrones, which is why I love re-engaging with the show now that it's all done and wrapped up, going back and seeing what they put there along the way seeing the tough questions the show asks and asks the characters and then asks of us so if Jorah stuck around you know, the way he goes, it breaks my heart but I'm, I'm looking, I have the Funko Pop scene I'm looking at it right now, I should bring it over here he went out, he went out in a, in a way Jorah would want to go out, right? But he went out and Danny starts to lose it. Barrison Selma has gone early on. And, and he has her ear, especially when Jorah goes a little haywire. She learns the truth about Jorah. Speaking about people who are kind of hiding, not know who they are, but maybe who they were. Um, and I love my guy Jorah. I gotta ask, these are the two, these are the two prime advisors. There's other people, Tyrion and especially Missende, have great value. I want to make that clear. But these are like her two prime advisors to me that I always say, man, if they had stuck around. But what happens here? They present her a damned if you do, damned if you don't option. And and, and and this episode is saying, hey, who are you? Last week, who are you really? Almost a challenge. This week, show us. Start showing us who you are. You think you have an idea? Let your actions tell us. So Danny hears this stuff, and I love the ending. I love the ending of this exchange. And again, it has that great line, there's a beast in every man, stirs when you put a sword in his hands. That's great for the scene. I think it's unfortunately a truth in life. Uh, and it's also to me about power. That's about power when you, when you get power and the, and the sword represents power and uh, it's going to unleash a beast in you. It's a danger we all might have to face there. So um, going back to this, like, Barristan and Jor have, have as their advisors, have suggested, here's what I think you need to do. And then Danny, who again, let's note, is hiding who she is to Krasnys, Krasnys and her advisors. Uh, Krasnitz, again, uh, played excellently by Dan Hildebrand. Uh, go check season uh, one of uh, uh, Deadwood. The uh, Season one episode with the pilot Deadwood. You you won't even pick him out. You have to, he's an Irish immigrant in that show. He's, he's a great character actor, man. Uh, she... She hears what they have to say. She stands before Krasnus as she hides who she is and just lets him talk about getting Here's Tywin got a power play. Small council. Here's the chairs. Where y'all want to sit? Show me who you are. Here's Danny. Here's Danny going, I got my visors. Show me who you are. Slave owners of Astapor. Show me. She's learning who Missandei is. She likes what she sees in Missande. She sees what she's capable of. She sees the smart, the intelligence uh, uh, that's that's on display. She wants her on part of her team on her team there. Danny's sitting back and she's just 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 show, show all of you show me who you are. So if this episode's asking, hey, who are you? Show us. Danny's answered. I'm a dragon. Barrison Tell me says. He mentions, you know, I knew Rhaegar. I fought alongside Rhaegar and fought fought alongside the last dragon. And Danny says, I didn't write down a specific quote, but oh yeah, did you know did you know Rhaegar? Oh yeah, it was, it was great. I hung out, we drank beers, he played the harp, it's great. Yeah, you didn't really know him then. Because I'm the last dragon. I'm the dragon. And this is something that Danny's long the way, to to do do She learns the valuable lesson. She's got to do a lot of this on her own. That's a lot of what happened in Karth. Can't trust very few people. If I want this, I got to take it. So here she is. Some big choices. But she gets there. Yeah, all right, let's, yeah, let's, you know what? That's great. Jor's right. Let's get a slave army. And the plan's starting to form. Hey, I'll free them and then maybe they will fight for me. And maybe... If I believe that they shouldn't uh, shed the blood of innocence, uh, maybe when they're behind me, if they choose there, maybe they'll be in line with what I think. Cause I do want to be like Rhaegar, except for he's not the last dragon. I'm the dragon. So I think about this scene a lot too. Cause next next episode, we got like prime Danny stuff. It's, it's fist pumping Danny stuff. We're going to analyze about looking back on that scene and what it might mean. But I always say a lot of the things you can go back. And point to of, hey, here's where Danny was slipping. And, and remember, by now, Benioff Weiss and the entire team, they know what they're doing with Danny. I will argue to the end of the day, they knew what they were doing with Danny, whether you loved it or not. And there's a scene after here, a little beat with Danny Missende, we'll talk about. But That's next, the that's next episode. But here she is, she's making the decision, and she's, again, I, I hate repeating it, but to, to put a point on it. Who am I? My actions are going to define it, and I am a dragon. So I think about this scene a lot when we go to season seven, where everyone's in her ears. And bup, 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 bup. She's on Dragonstone, and she has a lot of her advisors around. She has a lot more advisors around. Some she trusts more than others, but she has them there. And they're all, dit, 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 and it's Elena Tyrell who says quite, quite plainly, as she would You're a dragon. Be a dragon it goes back to this so whereas john snow's on this journey of discovering what what it really means to be a hero and maybe that's not what you seek which me ties to what happens to him in the end john never would have been on the throne never would have wanted the throne and never got there and that never wanted to get there and that i don't think the night king um, death was his to have it's not john's story to me uh this is danny's here she in this moment is i am a dragon And I think every decision she makes along the way, I'm going to have a lot of fun analyzing them and say, hey, again, here's where she might have started to slip. She's starting to slip into being that mad queen. But I I always will contend this world, this world that she's in was giving her these decisions that I think she had to make. There's no other way she could have got the Unsullied from Krasny's. There's no other way. So she had to do it. And it's a chip at her soul, maybe. Maybe. It's my theory, my thoughts, as it connects to the end. But I love this episode, which sets up because next episode's the more memorable stuff. Dracaris. Oh, it's the best. Can't wait to get to it. But this episode sets it up because Danny's like, yeah, I know who I am. And there's going to be a lot of more challenges, similar to similar to what we we're talking about with Samuel Tarley. Gonna be a lot more challenges, a lot more decisions. The decisions never end, and you have a chance to pull back. She has a chance to pull back all the way to the bells ringing or not ringing, maybe even after that. She has choices along the way. But for better or worse, Daenerys Targaryen is going to be what she knows she is a dragon. And I think a lot of that ties to this. But there's sadness ahead. Season eight's got a lot of sadness, whether you love it, hate it, have some issues with it socially, have some issues with it in uh, bigger, bigger, you know, discussion points to be had. But Danny Masende in this scene, it is it is a powerful scene. It is a powerful scene. Uh, she essentially uh, takes control of Missandei. She's boom, immediately kind of frees her. You're out of my service. The great scene. Hey, you know, I'm taking you to war, Missande. Daenerys knows what's happening. I'm taking you to war. A lot of sacrifice, a lot of pain. You might even die. And I uh, love the moment because it's powerful. Uh, Valor Morghulis, all men must die. Yes, but we are not men. It's a great scene. It's a powerful scene. If you take inspiration from this scene, guess what? Continue to take inspiration from that scene. It doesn't go away. What happens doesn't go away. There is a line, though, that Missandei says uh, about the... Uh, Danny asked her about the the slave that she tried to give water to, and he, he didn't take the water and, and basically just said, kill me. And Missandei says, there are no masters in the grave. I, t- I I flashed that scene again. There are bigger discussions to have around the death of Missandei in season 8. Totally get that. But taking this line and pulling it out to there, it made Missandei's final moments, where she... St- Says Dracaris to Danny, where she tells Danny, be a dragon. I think about this episode and this season particularly, but this episode and then what's happening next, but this episode, where without yet knowing that Danny's. Fake and not be able to speak High Valyrian and and hiding that part of who she is. Missandei is just being very honest, very truthful. And and these two the the the, the two moments is there's no masters in the grave. And and I, I saw you be a dragon. Think of think of Missandei in the end. I think she has doesn't want to die, but I think there's this. I think there's this. It's finally over for me, but I'm gonna go with my head held high. And, and on my way out, I'm going to remind Danny of who she is and who I saw her be from the beginning. And to me, I, I'm not saying I'm celebrating the death of Miss I'm not saying that yeah, I think it is important to Danny's character, but that's not always right. The characters serving, you know, sometimes we love characters that are, are, are put in there to serve the other characters in the story. That's just sometimes how it is and that's not always right. And I think we're analyzing how, be- how better to do that going forward. But I, I just think in terms of the story, which is how I love to engage with Game of Thrones here, I, I, I like this moment a lot as it connects to the end. There are no masters in the grave, and you're a dragon. And I think of all this, the, with all the advisors around Danny, you got Elena Tyrell later on reminding her about this, uh, this whole be a dragon concept, and then you got Sande a season later saying, burn it all down. Burn it all down. Because damn it all to hell, and there's no masters in the grave. I'll see you there. It's up for debate. I get this is my take on it. Uh, I just love that stuff. I love where it goes. Favorite moments and scenes. Uh, closing up shop here a little bit here. I mentioned the funeral pyre of Hoster uh, Tully. It's one of my favorite scenes. It's just a wonderful lesson in, in actions explaining traits. Kind of the big theme of the episode. But just the, like I said, it's, it's a writing. It's a writing thing for sure. Uh, don't don't show don't tell can sometimes be, it's a, it could be its own kind of cliche, but, uh, and, and people sometimes misinterpret what telling is versus, you know, what the, what the note actually is. But anyway, sidetrack on, on writing styles there. Um, but I think there's something about it here. And, 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 and again, setting up the power of knowing who you are. Blackfish knows who he is, man. That's the beginning of this episode. And the, this episode ends with Danny kind of going, yeah, I got a, fi- I got a feeling who I am. And then Jamie, just having it all taken away from him. and, all these characters being far from home. I also love the line of uh, from Blackfish. It often comforts me to think that even in war's darkest days, in most places the world, in the most places in the world, absolutely nothing is happening. I love that line there. I also love Mance Raider. When it's time, I'm gonna light the biggest fire the North has ever seen. It's so weird to think, especially when you go back, because this is it? Mance is done until next season. Uh, and in season five, episode one, boom, kaput. Uh, Karen Hines, man. It's just so weird to think how, how little he actually is in the show, but how impactful he is. And I know he's more prominent in the books. I know it. I love it. And I love it. I love it. But it wasn't necessarily needed for what the story I- is in the show. And that's something I'll always argue. And I just love that it, he's so impactful, especially with John, where he is. Talking about just who you are, uh, hiding, uh, hiding who you are, or maybe not really... Knowing who you are and that's going to get you killed. I just love Craster calling himself a godly man. And Jor, more you're a godly man. Love that little scene there. Uh, love a little line, the brand Bre- line. Maybe people want to overpraise a, a famous name. Haven't talked a lot about Brienne, but this is some big Brienne stuff here. Uh, and a lot of things are happening to her. Again, talking about a, a character sometimes in a scene, maybe serving the journey of another character. Um, which is why you have to be real careful about how you're doing that, especially with a, a woman, especially if you're going to enact or threaten to enact sexual violence on, on, on a female character. Like, just you really got to ask yourself why, why you're doing it. And I think sometimes Game of Thrones answers that question incorrectly. I'm not saying I, I I love it all the all the time, but I just I think in this scene, I think it is a little it, it's it's a horror that Brianne, I think is trying to put up a brave face as best she can. And it's just some great dialogue with her and Jamie earlier of him just kind of saying, Hey, here's what's going to happen. Cause she's kind of got this, like, you know, no, I know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I worked with uh, Catelyn Stark. Aren't you, aren't you all kind of on the same team here? Locke? and the Boltons. Like, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, I am, I'm Bran of Tarth and, uh, and that's who I am. And, and, Locke doesn't care. And Jamie lets her know that. And, and Brianne always kind of struggles with what the world actually is versus what maybe it should be. And finding that balance, I think that's part of her her journey here. So this is a darker lesson for her to learn, to be clear. But I, I just think it all works well, and and to see you see this and who who Brand really is, I think does inspire that, that 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 the ice starting to melt around Jamie. And when again, I almost describe he's almost surprised that he's like, "Gosh, I'm putting myself on the line here," to to save Brand in this moment, and essentially works. And there's that relief, and that, uh, Jamie falls for it, right? And that's his again. It's his lesson. He falls for it, and that's and he ends up losing the hand, and 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 that same. By the way, and a show full, full of violent, uh, often disturbing imagery. Uh, Locke putting that meat cleaver in Jamie's eye still gets me every time. But to go back to to Brienne, uh, this is uh, this is a darker episode for her. It absolutely is, uh, and I, I think. I, I think it, it does help the character move forward a little bit, but it, it could be for debate. Again, um, if you're if you're a young person right now, there, particularly young male, I beg of you to really ask yourself uh, why you might put a scene of sexual assault or sexual violence uh, in a, in, a, in a story. Just ask yourself why, why, and make sure you're clear about it here. And again, sometimes I think Game of Thrones does it. Dare I say, well, but I, I think it's missed. Uh, I think it absolutely has missed, and and, it, and times have changed. This show, ca- this episode, is in 2013. We've changed dramatically our expectations of what we want to see. What we just don't want to see. It's not that we don't necessarily you know, we don't get it, and that's my point. It's, it's it's not always gratuitous with Game of Thrones. A lot, a lot of the a lot of the the sexual uh, violence scenes aren't always gratuitous, but sometimes you just, you just just because you can doesn't mean you should. It's all I'll say on that there. Um, I do want to talk. <laughs> I do want to talk about this idea of uh, Stannis. Uh, you love Stannis' breath in. And our, our good friend Eric Monroe sent in a tweet here. If you have a tweet for an upcoming episode, just use the hashtag casually talk and tag me at Ken Napsok. says, uh, uh, episode 303. I think the scene where Melisandre leaves Dragonstone is important because it shows how Stannis has come to depend on her almost like a drug, an addiction that only gets worse and worse. I do agree when he says he's the one true gig because he is. Eric and I are big, are big Game of Thrones, uh, Stannis Baratheon fans. All right, just to be uh, just to be clear. Um, and uh, this is a hard se- I love Stannis Baratheon, but this is one thing that always hurts me. There's the lesson again, the why of the characters. Ask about the why. What are the characters teaching us or meant to teach us or meant to highlight? And and Stannis Baratheon is someone who lost himself in pursuit of this thing he felt he deserved and felt he needed. And that's the Iron Throne, and that's him being the one true king, uh, even though he had, uh, I think, the legal right to it at the uh, at the point we meet him. But again, this one scene is always hurts me because who is Stannis? Who is Stannis? He's broken, and he's lost the pillars on which he once once stood. He's now nothing but vengeance. He's nothing but a pursuit of glory and a pursuit of this title that really only would would, would cover uh, this this truth about him and this whole and soul and. Um, I, I think, I think, I think, Eric, you're right. I really do think this is, it's a sad kind of pathetic scene for Stannis from what he was. And again, I'm not saying, I don't want people to root for him. I get it. Stannis and Madness is hard to root for and about me and Eric Monroe are about the only ones that do. Um, but it is it, the lesson, and I, I I love the character, and and I, I kind of am drawn to those grumpy uh, old guys in Game of Thrones, but I, I think it's important to learn the lesson, and I take the lesson from it. And, and this, he's not in a great spot at the end of season two, clearly, but he doesn't get better. He doesn't, he doesn't ask himself, he's not asking himself the questions that this episode's asking. Hey, what do you really want? Why are you after it? Who are you really? And what actions are you going to use to tell us all? He's just like I, I'm flailing, I'm flailing, I'm flailing. Vengeance, vengeance! Give me a kid. I want to, I want to have sex with you. Come on, yeah, yeah. Your, your fire goddess. Yeah, I want the throne. Why? Yeah, yeah. It's mine. And he doesn't stand up to Mel. This is one of the first things. So, Stannis loses everything about himself, loses everything around him to the point where he loses his own life, and, and he deserves that. He has uh, arguably. He would have been the better person to win at Blackwater Bay? Maybe. I mean, arguably. I don't know. You're rooting for Tywin or you're rooting for Stannis? Talk about tough choices. Does the show ask you to, to to ponder? So that's the genius of that battle and the genius of the show and the genius of George R. R. Martin. Uh, you got two warring factions, but there's people on either side you're rooting for. So who are you going to pick? Stannis uh, doesn't recover from that. He gets this great purpose. Mel shows him the flames and war in the snow and something else is coming with Stannis. But here she is going, yeah, your fire's low, man. I'm not going to give you a kid. Quite frankly, you're not going to be able to do anything there. Hold on, pirate. Um, and she tells him, you don't, you don't have the power. You don't, but there's power in King's blood. He, he says it and she's like, yeah, but there's other people with your blood. She's going to go get Gendry. This we know. And for Stannis, he in this moment, like, like Eric says in his tweet, he's addicted to her. It is a drug. It is a drug to use to get that high that he's now chasing that's going to destroy them. And here she's like, hey, you have other other family members out there. I'm going to go sacrifice them. Stannis, before we maybe even got to know him on the show, I don't think that Stannis would have done that. I don't think there would have been an honor to that. And I think here he's willing to slip. He's willing to let that slip. And where does that lead? Nephew now, daughter later, armies, kingdoms, wife, everything. He gives it all up and it it can be traced to this moment. So if you're a Stannis Baratheon fan like me, this scene should hurt. Final little moment. I love uh, Theon getting knocked from the horse with that uh, what was that that mace there. One of the in a show again, full of a lot of violence. That's one of the best little brutal moments in the show. The sound kind of goes away. There's that hum, and <laughs> he's, oh, he's gasping for air. Love that. Uh, uh, the The idea of who are you and and, and who are you hiding is is a play with Ramsey and Theon? But we're it's not really playing out yet. But it, we're setting it up, and uh, just an absolutely uh, you know. The show had to deal with that in a different way. We talked a lot lot about it in the previous podcast. But uh, I think they played it it pretty well where Theon's not the mystery, but who Ramsay is is the mystery. And and, and that feeling of being far from home and not knowing who you are, where you are, what's going on, I think it plays out pretty well. And if you didn't know the books, and at the time I hadn't read this part and this far in the books, I was trying to catch up. So I was experiencing season three, kind of as it uh, as it came, and uh, this one was I was I was, it was throwing me for a loop, throwing me for a loop, which is why it's fun to go back and see some of the more stuff in uh, season two that sets this up. So, anyways, that's my big ramble of this episode. Uh, the, the stars: Clive Russell, the Blackfisher mentioned, Gwendolyn Christie. A shout out to her. Nicholas uh, called her Waldo as well, but like for her to play that horrible scene, the darkness. Uh, and have it mean something for her character and still finding that as an actor. I love what she did here. Shout out to Conleth Hill just for his reaction to Baelish talking about Lysa Aaron. Uh, love that look to him. He's disgusted by him. Also, a shout out to The Hold Steady, lead singer Craig Finn, uh, doing the uh, bear, the bear, and the maiden fair over at the credits. Uh, Benioff and Weiss, big fan of that band. Uh, and they wanted a what sounded like a drop, dr- uh, uh, with a a, a a sloppy drunk version of the song, and they got it. Uh, so that is uh, season three, episode three, the twenty-third overall episode of Game of Thrones: Walk of Punishment. A lot of fun breaking it down here, looking back, and again, not just going uh, and looking back and scene by scene, but really finding out what finding out what the show is telling us telling us in terms of its own story going forward and what it can mean for these characters and what it can mean for us. What are the lessons you take from this episode? Let me know. Reach out, follow me at Katnapsok, go to Casterly Talk, uh, hashtag Casterly Talk, and let me know what were the lessons that you took from the episode? What, what resonated in this episode? And what resonated in the episodes going forward? We're going to be moving on to uh, season three, episode four. And that, of course, is a hard one for me as a Jor Mormon fan. And now his watch is ended. We got some big stuff coming up. It is a big episode. Again, in a season. Some days, in some conversations, I might say, I don't know about season three. I think it gets too much credit. Here we are, three episodes into this rewatch of season three, and there's some big stuff presented in all three of these episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, keep uh, checking us out at the GPA. Go to the thegpa.fun for more. Again, go to KenNapsack.com or at KenNapsack for me. If you like music, i got a new radio show out there on Mixcloud called Ken Napsuk's Pop Rockin' Radio, and very soon if you're a fan of the GPA, we are launching our very own Kickstarter for our board game, Futility, the actual game of living, coming to you real soon. Get ready as we move into making that board game for all of us to play. That's it for Castly Talk this week. See you next time, friends. Bye.